0: Important to me just to connect and stay connected because I I have one job here and that's to uh, to help dogs with with the possibility of a of a new perspective you know that's really it.
1: Hey everyone, in this episode, I take a little detour from my usual format of talking about aggression in dogs and chat with Matt Beisner, star of the show Dog Impossible on Nat Geo Wild. We talk about how we ended up meeting in the first place, Matt's journey and evolution, and the need for inclusivity, tolerance, and compassion in the dog training community. All things that are much needed right now. And this episode is sponsored by AggressiveDog.com, where you can find a variety of educational offerings with a focus on helping dogs with aggression, including the Aggression in Dogs Master Course and the Aggression in Dogs Conference, a three-day virtual event happening from October 2nd to 4th, 2020, with 10 amazing speakers, all experts in their field. You can find out more by going to TheLooseLeashAcademy.com. Hey everyone, I'm Mike Shikashio. I'm here with the Zen-like and compassionate and kind Matt Beisner. Met him probably uh, about five or six months ago, was it now, Matt? Yeah. And uh, you know, I had the unique experience of going out there to visit his facility, Zen Dog, in Los Angeles. And it was an amazing time where I got to chat with him and learn more about him. I'm excited to have him on the show. Uh, he is, of course, well-known for the show Dog Impossible that was on Nat Geo Wild last year, and he's actually going to be a second season coming up soon, so we're excited to hear about that. So welcome,
0: Matt. Thank you, Mike. It's, it's a pleasure to know you, and I'm really happy for you to, and for the world that your podcast is, is going to be out there, and uh, I feel honored to be a part of it. I appreciate
1: that. I'm excited for it. So let's, uh, let's jump right in. Let's, uh, why don't you tell people how we
0: met and how this all came about? Yeah, it was it was um it was really actually I don't know serendipitous, fortuitous, divine, I don't know what it was, but but it was born out of I needed help, which really is where most good things come from. Uh you know that the the spirit of humility and uh I I had a dog that I'd been working with, Oliver K. I actually want to check back with you on that. And see how he's doing. Um and the couple had made great strides. And what we had done, and and they were at a plateau. And what was problematic was that when he was on a walk, he would attack them. He would turn on them. Trans- his transferred aggression was really, really dangerous. He's a big boy too. So I was stuck, and I was reaching out to a few people to see. Uh, there was nobody in my area that I that I didn't already know, or or whose approach I didn't already know. And I had reached somebody. I want to make sure I give her credit because she was really a a, a key in this uh danny willingham she has a company called conscious canines and she's up in oregon i believe and she actually had been a client of mine years ago and um so that's where she's at now and from what i see from her pages she's doing great work and i'm learning from her as well so i reached out and i said here's my situation and uh i need help and she mentioned a few people some of whom i knew and it was your name that I didn't recognize. So I just started doing my homework and your name popped up and I said, well, that's the guy that I, I want help from and reached out to you. And you were so gracious and you know getting back to me right away um, and just really made it about the dog and not anything else. And uh, so we ended up talking a bit. And then I realized I had an opportunity as I was rebooting my staff and my facility We'd had the Zen Dog facility in LA for about five years. I opened it about six years ago. It's actually on account of the coronavirus, it's currently closed and you know, to be determined if it's going to be open again. But I knew that um, in the restaffing or not re- not restaffing, rather in the the reopening of what we were doing and reappropriating our approach and and how we wanted to work and continue to grow and you know really create things that were sustainable and generative what can i teach that can be taught that actually can be passed on so it has to have certain values and practice to it so i saw the opportunity to have you come out as a guest and again you you know the timing was perfect because it fit in a window in between your traveling and we had you come out for a day with the staff and I was so glad to spend time with you obviously the the presentation that you did you know it was only four hours of the you know probably thousands of hours that you could present on, but those four hours to me were they were not only informative uh, but they were also empowering, and it was really good for me to know what i what i didn 't know and continue to need to learn and develop and it was really good for me to know what I do know. And um, the staff loved having you there. And then I got, you know, then we got to spend some time together and go out for a meal. And you know, we've been in touch ever since. So that's how it came about. And I think I've said this to you, and I want to say it on, on this platform that that the thing that stands out to me uh, about you and about my experience of you and this growing relationship I have with you, maybe more than anything, um, humility of course is inherent in it. Is uh, the generosity of spirit that you have. And the ability to, um, to approach, meet somebody where they're at. In this case, me, and the help that I needed, and, and whatever else you know may have been around that, and meet somebody where they're at without them feeling judged. And that, to me, is that is the essence of how I should work with a dog. And um, I just feel like you embody that in a way that maybe very few, if if no other people that I've met or certainly not met at your level do, I just thank you for that. And for being a model in that way,
1: I appreciate that. And um, I will say that, when I, when I first received your email, you know, I was like, oh, this name sounds familiar. So yeah. I did a little search and I'm like, Oh, okay. This is the guy that everybody's talking about. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and so it just, that, that blew me away that you were so humble to reach out um, and that, you know, cause usually when somebody has a TV show or, or is kind of well-known, it it takes a lot to, to reach out to somebody and say, you know, Hey, you know, I'd like to learn about what you do. Um, Mm -hmm. And and that's an amazing uh, facet of this whole story. So, uh, you know, of course it's, Excited about the opportunity to just fly out. And you're right. The timing was perfect. I mean, think about it. Just a month off, we would have been either in a pandemic or, right, <laughs> you know, or just some other, you know, it's just it's amazing how the timing and the universe works sometimes. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's just uh, the, the experience I had, too, was amazing. I'm just sitting there talking to you like we went out to dinner that night after the seminar and just, uh, you know, the person I saw in front of me was just so uh, caring and compassionate. And really, that's what captured me about you is that you're so Um, you know, you really care. You really care about doing things right. Um, You really care about your own self-development and ensuring that uh, it's, it's the best for the animals and their people. So, yeah. Um, and, And I think that kind of segues sort of into another topic we could talk about with this is sort of, the the bridges, the many broken bridges in the dog training industry, and mm. how uh, those things can can be an, an impediment to our learning and to our own growth in our community as well. Because of the, uh, you know, people can feel lonely in this world, in the dog training world, and not reaching out. You know, I've, in my travels, I've I've talked to a lot of trainers, and I, and a common theme is that. They don't have a lot of help, but they don't know who to talk to or they don't know mm-hmm. who to learn from. They feel like if they reach out that they're just going to have the door shut or if a person's philosophy or training style might differ from theirs, they're going to be uh, criticized or, or judged, as you had said. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to kind of um, get together and
0: start to uh, send a message out there that right. you can do this, you know. Right. Well, clearly I, I think any of us wherever we stand you know in our, in our approach or opinions, any of us would agree that 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 the capacity for, if not the actual uh activation of this kind of union between you and I is only good for more dogs. I mean that's that's the net of it, you know. Um I learned from you, I only help more dogs in a way that's more helpful. Like that's really baseline you know and anything that i can pass on to anybody that's interested you know for anything that i know um or it just you know based on experience too especially in the world of aggressive dogs so it's um and it's not easy you know i i I mean i I wasn't a people person i've been pretty forthright certainly the show addresses it a little bit not to make it the focus of the show but i'm you know 11 12 13 years clean and sober and i i uh i had to learn how to be a a decent human being you know so i understand and, and can relate to what you're saying uh and a lot of trainers that i will talk to there's always this kind of hesitancy or reticence like they don't want to share something with me because they don't want to be judged um or um or they don't want to give away the house secret <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. There's that kind of sense of propriety to me that is um You know, it's not conducive to building a community. It's ultimately, it's not conducive to helping the dogs. And the thing that's, I'm curious if this is other trainers experience, but I know for myself, because we had a brick and mortar facility and and being a business owner and all of those things, they were so consuming that, um, and I was so focused on, on what we were doing and, and always trying to do it in better ways. It's, it's a bubble. You know, and it's a bubble and we've got these eight foot walls. You show up to our, to our facility because we got dogs that can jump. So we've got eight foot walls and <coughs> excuse me. So it's easy to just put my head down and stay in my lane, but not put my head up and look around and see who's doing what and and who I can connect with and who I can learn from or contribute to. And I find that with a lot of the trainers I work because the work is really hard. I hadn't until I watched your your piece on uh, not your piece until I went through your your um, training on dog aggression. That that entire thing is really it's really fantastic. And I didn't even know about compa- uh, compassion fatigue. That was an, that was an aha for me, you know, to have that included. And that's definitely something that happens if I work in isolation. Yeah, I mean, you took the words out of my mouth with the, when you were
1: describing the bubble. I was going to say the exact same thing: is that uh, you know you can get you can easily get caught in a bubble and not look out from it. And I was uh, gu- uh, definitely guilty of that, you know, early on. Um, I came from uh, what many would refer to as a balanced training background, mm-hmm. um, and i I had kind people reach out to me or. Um, you know, kind of take me under their wing and show me what I'm doing now today. And I continue to do that in terms of my own personal growth. I like to make sure I'm not uh, you know, getting stuck in that bubble, but I think it's important to have those people like that. Um, And I'll I'll give her a shout out on this podcast. One of my first mentors that sort of steered me in the right direction was this uh, wonderful woman named Barbara Brill, who's uh, passed away uh, last year. Um, And, uh, she was kind enough to just say, you know, hey, there's there's this way you can do this, sir, but I'm not going to criticize you. I'm not going to judge you. And uh, she taught me a lot about, you know, using positive reinforcement-based methods for working with aggression. Uh, so I, I promised myself I would do the same. I would just continue on that same path of saying I'm not going to judge anybody. If you want to learn, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to hold anything back. I'll teach you everything I know, yeah. uh, provided you have an open mind. So I think that's... Uh, such an important thing that can happen in our industry in really any industry we're yeah. talking about growth and learning
0: well particularly in in light of where we're at now and I want I want to get into that in a moment but you just reminded me of I was I was on the street corner. I don't know, ten years ago, with with the jindo that I had rescued, who <laughs> was got to he a he got bite level five on human, bite level five on dogs, yeah. and but I was I had a, uh, a choke chain on him, and I was on the corner, and I was wanting to get him to sit, and I was popping and popping and popping like I had learned, and uh, and I'll never forget, you know, God bless her. This woman, she stopped at the stop sign, and she just rolled down the window, and she looked at me and looked at the dog, and she said, "That must hurt him." You know, and yeah. boy, I, like yeah. n- nothing else, no judgment. She didn't, I'm sure she felt it and I, and I don't blame her for it. But like that right there, that stuck with me. And I began to change the way I worked with that dog. And it was, you know, many years in undoing and, and, and learning ways along the way. But that kind of spirit, that might actually hurt the dog. Oh, oh, that's not why I'm here, you know,
1: mm-hmm. and then yeah. him the chance to shift. Yeah and to be open to that shift.
0: uh, Yeah. It changes, change takes time. Yeah. 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 I mean, we see where we're at now, you know, we we were, it's just, um, I really appreciated part of what you were doing and trying to incorporate more people of color. Uh, You know, it's, it is a um, specifically black, you know, when we're looking at what's happening with the movement and, and, uh, and what's possible and what's not been addressed and, those kinds of things. I just really appreciated that that's something that was important to you as well. And, uh, and I find the parallels. I want to be really sensitive to, to what the human experience is. And of course, because I live in the dog world, I can't help but see the parallels. You know, I, I think of things like at least out here in LA, most of the dogs, the, the highest percentage of dogs that get put down are black pit bulls. There's without a doubt, there's a stereotype, black male pit bulls in, in particular, and um you know, please for the listeners know I'm not comparing the two by any stretch. But because I live in the dog world, I see that and I see how the prejudice actually is gonna cost somebody their life, if if not at the very least an opportunity, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Certainly it's a, the, the dog training world is is lacking diversity in many ways. Um, and and the way again establishing and fixing those bridges, I think in, in allowing that inclusivity is really important. I was just
0: gonna say it takes a lot. Like as for for me as a human, and I was saying I'm not a people person, and a lot of my friends in the dog world would say the same about that. You know about themselves. I love dogs. I hate people, and that doesn't really fly because we got to interact with people, and it takes a lot to be able to grow, to be willing to grow that way. You know, and it, i'd rather do it than not you know if i don't grow i I die like i know that for myself uh slowly or quickly Um, but i just i acknowledge that that a lot of people care but that's not the same thing as as um having the courage and support to be able to stretch in a way that's for the greater good right and it's it's again
1: getting back to parallels if you think about how even in the dog training world we're, we're putting people into uh, we're labeling people and putting right. people into camps by calling them you know force-free trainers positive trainers balanced trainers um i you know uh, my my aim some days to be just every we known as a dog trainer you know mm-hmm. without having to give it a label or to uh, kind of push yourself into a certain category that way mm-hmm. um you know i think it's important People are uh, proud of their their methodology, but without having to label it, and because um, you know, c- I think that alone can be a roadblock to learning. Uh, I, I know in my workshops, I don't I don't necessarily say um, I don't I don't label myself into any kind of uh, training camp or philosophy. I, I invite everybody to go, and I know I've had some trainers come that may not share the same philosophy, but that's the only way that I might have been able to reach them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. Let's just. Why don't we shift gears a little bit and
0: talk about the show? Well, we have, uh, you know, it, it, it being in L.A. and and us working with dogs who are aggressive, and I don't know. People may not know that I was afraid of dogs until about thirteen years ago, <laughs> thirteen or twelve years ago. So that's its own story. But um, when I started, when I found myself committing to being able to help dogs. That that wouldn't get a, a second chance, particularly dogs that were labeled as bad dogs. And uh, and this is a sidebar, but I, I was at a Dr. Dunbar had a, had a presentation a few years ago down here in Southern California, and he said I learned in that presentation from him that ninety percent of aggression is fear based, and that blew my mind because it it I, I knew that was true. I knew he wasn't lying, and if I was willing to accept that as a truth uh, and to thread that into my work. it it would immediately challenge my prejudices about a dog because if that dog's afraid, I can certainly as a human being relate to that from a place of compassion, as opposed to what I, what I used to do and what I was taught was when you're, when you're afraid you use force, you know? So from that place, um, so the niche that the radically underserved niche that I found in LA was, were dogs that were aggressive a lot of dogs most of the dogs that are rescued have been have been adopted but they came from rescues or you know the streets or something like that and as we built that up and as you know um in a lot of ways for for the better it's become quite popular to adopt uh, a rescue dog which i wouldn't trade and and the people that I, I just have so much praise for the people that have been supportive of that but to bring it back to how we got started with that show uh a lot of the there's a lot of celebrity attention towards adopting dogs and particularly dogs that are underserved or uh or dangerous and so you see a lot of pits and german shepherds and rotties and dobermans and things like that that are things like that dogs like that so i had a client who's um who went public uh lena dunham and uh, and she actually didn't have a, a dog that fit any of those descriptions she had a little a little terrier mix uh, named Lammy, and uh, Lammy was in a really bad way. Um, serious punctures on her, on her boyfriend. Um, you know, would drink his own urine, would be spinning in circles. I guess had been through a lot of different training, and I think I, my understanding was that a lot of it—I um, don't want to put methods on blast—but a lot of it was not. It was not conducive to the the compassion that this dog needed. So. I helped her with Lammy and we kept it under wraps because uh, I wanted to respect her privacy and then she announced on a on a uh I don't know she was on Jimmy Fallon or something like that and she it was a she said uh Jimmy Fallon asked her where's Lammy and and like pretty soon after she went public that he had been with us and so I remember getting the heads up that she had gone public and two hours later i mean you can imagine we got a lot of attention very quickly and two hours later i ended up in a conversation with um high noon entertainment which is uh high noon productions which is based out of colorado and they reached out and i started meeting with people and i met with them and I liked the way that they did things and I liked the integrity that with way with uh, which they approached things. And that was probably a year and a half long process, meetings, video sessions, um, filming a three minute special, filming an eight minute in-house special. And, and then they started pitching it and uh, they felt that Nat Geo wild was the best, the best spot for that. And then it, you know, Boom, then it really started taking off. And all of this was new to me. I and mean, I, I wasn't new to the entertainment world, um, you know, from other lives that I've lived, but it was really new to me to to be in on this from the ground and and to watch how it moved. And I, I realized that we have I mean, it's it's not just one in a million. I don't know what the odds are, but but I I I have a very rare um opportunity and what i've been given here and and i also want to sidebar to say that i you know there's a great responsibility that comes with that which is part of why i have to keep asking for help you know i think what i what i am moved by as much as anything at this point in the positive feedback from the show are the letters and the emails that i get from children You know, uh, I got letters right here on my desk with, from, you know, an eight year old and a 10 year old and people from around the world. And, and I'm a parent, I've got a four year old and a seven month old girl. and, And that really matters to me that I continue, um, to share something that's generative, uh, in a compassionate way, in a thoughtful way that focuses on the relationship. So that's, that sidebar coming back. Um, that's how it got started. And, uh, it was an amazing experience doing that first season. And um, and then everything that comes with it, you know, I wouldn't trade the learning and some of it was really difficult and, and, I, and I wouldn't trade any of it. Uh, and then we didn't know if there was going to be a season two and we found that out. And so we actually started filming season two already. Soon after you came to visit, I think we started filming season two and then the shutdown happened with the coronavirus. So we are slated to... Um, season 2 has been officially announced so I can talk about it. We're slated to, to continue filming, I think, July, sometime in July. But we're waiting for the the practical realities. We've got to get permits in L.A. to be able to work in people's homes and things like that. And my facility has it's shut down. So so I, I am in a position where uh, I'm learning how to work in a very different way. And it's great. It's a great stretch for me. And, um, and because of the show, you know, I I did just did a virtual session with somebody in India and Canada, the UK and South Africa. And just the thing I like most for a person that wasn't a people person, the thing I like most is being able to connect with people and, and, you know, for them to have some hope and for me to know that I've offered something that's, um, of service to them. So that's, that's been the gift of the show and we'll see what comes after that. Yeah, isn't that interesting how it's shifted so much online? And,
1: you know, I have consults the same, and where you sometimes don't even see the dog. (laughs) You're just talking about their dog and really connecting with the people. Yeah. Um, You know, another thing I wanted to mention too is when we were, when we had met and we were talking, it really struck me that, you know, you care about the show. Course, but yeah. you care about the animals more. You care about the yeah. dogs more and their people, and that's that was really uh, just just um, you know refreshing for me to hear that. That mm. you know, again, I think it's in, in entertainment. As you know, there's a lot that can be focused on strictly just the show and doing whatever it takes to to make that. Uh, show and uh, it's, it was the opposite with you. You know, you were you were concerned mostly about the dogs and if the show works out, great. Yeah. And and uh, you know, incredibly refreshing. So yeah. so with that regard, what what are some of the challenges like? So you know, you've got you got to have like these exciting made for TV moments. And yeah. Of course, you know, there's the other side of the coin about you know again caring for the dogs and yeah. not putting them in in situations where you're going to see. You know, necessarily trigger behavior and things like that. So, right. so what are some of the challenges you faced with that sh- with that part of the show?
0: Well, I think that the challenges were they were for me they were professional, they were personal, and th- and they were also specific to the nature of making a show. And so, you know, I mean, I'm not I'm not naive. I'm 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 new to it, but I'm not naive, and I know that I know what sells. And I remember telling. Um, of one of the uh, networks that I'm, that I'm working with, I remember saying to him on the phone in a group call, this can't be, because the working title initially was uh, Red Zone Dogs. And I remember saying, this can't be about me almost getting killed every week because if it's a hit show, you're going to get people that have been able to work with the production team and you know everybody that I've built a relationship with, obviously the crew and the producers. And uh, so we all knew you know as much as as much as we knew what it was that we wanted they knew who they were getting in me and um and one of the challenges of the show professionally and personally is that i i grow publicly you know so it's it's a some of the things that i would like to do differently and i stand by a lot of it you know i know that things were shaped in a way that that um that that uh raised concerns that i understand and i also know that there's things that i you know it's i think it's been like almost three years since i filmed that first season things that i just am growing out of and don't need to do anymore and don't want to do and you know don't want 10 year old kids to think is cool and that's all part of it so the, in the real time of filming, first there was a lo- the logistics of it. How do I make sure that the dog is not overwhelmed by the cameras and the boom mic and those kinds of things? So we set things in place every morning. We'd have a safety meeting and uh, and talk about what to expect and and you know what are the signs to watch for and um, and you know how do we make sure that that dog isn't pushed and because it doesn't serve anybody's show or otherwise. And ultimately, the dog, if the dog is at or pushed past threshold. Um, and, you know, I, I ultimately I, I did what I did. And thankfully, one of the things that I appreciated that I think we need to go even further with is um, I want more information. I want it to be more about uh, teaching. And that's something that was actually brought to me. You know, you've got to talk more. And I, I talk a lot, so I kind of got tired of hearing myself talk. But one of the executives said she came and watched a day of filming. She You've got to talk more. You have to assume that we don't know anything and and keep talking. And, um, and then, you know, I, then I guess the other part of the challenge, both personally and professionally, and then, and then at a, at a show level is it's really out of my hands. What comes after that, you know? So there was a lot of integrity with the people that I worked and, in, and, and, in and what we were able to put out. And, um, I was very glad when I got to reconvene with people and we started talking about a second season that we, that all of us, uh, had the same ideas about what we wanted to do better. And that was really encouraging for me, you know, um, because of what we, what we want to do and what we can do given the platform that we have. And frankly, that there's such a, a hunger for content right now, you know, Nat Geo got bought by Disney and, you know, Disney plus is, is uh, it's worldwide. So there's so much, so much need for content that we have an opportunity to um, offer a lot uh, right away, you know, on a global scale.
1: I'm sure it was a, a big relief to have, you know, working as a team and not kind of being directed in a way to do certain things. Uh, I'm sure that's inc- incredibly, stressful when you're trying to, you know, please the the directors and the producers while also trying to incorporate yeah. what you know and what's going to work best.
0: Yeah. It's a challenge. They were, they were really gracious. And they gave me a lot of space and, and I also knew that they had their job to do. And so you know, we worked, we worked well together in that way. And yes, I mean, there's no way around. Like I had, you know, my head is in a lot of places at once. And I will say that, that I actually felt really in the zone. Like I felt really in, in my own. Uh, It's the first time in my life I've ever been comfortable on camera, which is odd. But I think the reason for that, and I say it's odd because I I had spent years, you know, um, in (laughs) in my earlier lives, I spent years as, as an actor, uh, trying to you know work professionally as an actor and playing music and as a performer so I had been so hungry for the for for the spotlight but when it finally came the reason why it worked is because it wasn't about me and I think that's also reflected you know I wanted I wanted the staff to be featured I I, I that's really the 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 ethos of what we do is that I, I I can't do it alone and I don't have all the answers you know Here we are having a conversation because of that and i wanted i wanted the world of it to be featured because i wanted people who would watch this to know that they're not alone and to be able to see themselves in the dogs in the cases in the staff um and i think that to a great extent we got that message across yeah yeah um
1: so as far as you know the differences now between you know last season and this season what what could we expect to see, or what do you think has changed most for
0: you? Well, I think that, that there's the obvious um, there are the obvious challenges around social distancing. You know, how we're going to film stuff and how we're going to help dogs. And I don't have a, a full running facility available to me, so there's some logistical things that that we have penciled in, but we don't really have figured out in the big picture. Um, I trust the great dog in the sky is going to help us. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> try and do the right thing for for as many people as we can as many dogs as we can so there's that and i think the the other thing too is uh you know i i want to i you know and thankfully again with the people that i get to work with at high noon and at geo wild i i get to shape things i know now um what we saw and what we want to work with and what we don't want to continue with and so we get to shape things differently um and the stories you know really the thing that i think I, I wanted more of, there were two things I wish we'd had more of in the, in the first season. And that is these human stories were so compelling. They're so profound. Like, you know, we've got, we've got stories that are just, they just blow my mind what the people have been through. The dog stories are um, they're really compelling and, and hard to hear and then what the people have been through. And so the opportunity for healing is, is um, ripe. And that the power of transformation, starting with my own self, you know, being, you know, recovering drug addict and alcoholic, etc. cetera, uh, the power of transformation is the thing that to me is most important to pass on. Like if, if nothing else comes out of what I did and what I've done with the Zen dog, for people to know that there is there is the possibility of transformation. Uh, that's the thing that I think we all agree on a production level that we want to drive home this time in a way that we didn't last time and and flesh some things out and you know these incredible dogs and these incredible human beings that have the courage to face themselves because that's what's required to help their dogs yeah now
1: as far as um training wise have you seen any shifts in that regard? as far as what your (laughs) approach is
0: yeah, for sure. So I, I wanted I wanted to stay away from flooding as a practice, for example. That was one of the things that that concerned me when I was watching just going back to see and I saw, you know, I don't know if people know this, but I saw the um the episodes when they aired. I saw them for the first time in their totality uh with everybody else and there were some things that to me were I cringed at. I wish I'd done that differently and uh, or just not done that at all. Um so obviously the flooding's the thing that I want I don't want to have in the in the repertoire or on the picture and i started to make really pretty quick shifts anyway some um, some in the evolution of the filming season one and some in the natural evolution of my work uh, within my company um i looked at you know w- w- you and i talked a bit about s- like simple things dogs got. always you know as much as i push the dogs have a choice i have to make sure that if i'm doing a, a uh, a greeting between two dogs that the, the dog in question has the ability to leave the situation. That's pretty straightforward. And so if I know for myself that, that that's not negotiable, then I'm actually challenged with and come up with and, and rely on the information of others also as to how we can do that still in the context, because as many people know, I, I don't rely on, um, I don't rely on choke chains or prong collars or e-collars and, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, um, displays of dominance and stuff like that it's not it's not good for the dogs it's not good for me nor do i rely on treats and that's not and i want to be clear i think you and i've talked about this but i I am not anti-treat i just found something and um that where i could actually uh, impact change uh without having to rely on anything other than what is on me and in me you know and I'm really geeked out about. Uh, I'm way down the rabbit hole on that. <laughs> I'm deep in the matrix on that thing, you know. So, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about. Uh, I was looking at, at, at Karen Pryor's work and Ken Ramirez, and you know, and some of the just some of the brilliant people that are out there. And and how can I mark, for example, in a door exercise? So that so we talk about this in the show where. Dogs are amped up around doors and it's not new information. Don't engage with the dogs until they're calm. But what I wanted to make sure I nuanced for myself personally and for the dogs and and ultimately for the show is that the dog in question, when the, when the human is standing calmly at the door with gentle eyes, not, not trying to be dominant, but calmly waiting for the dog to settle. I don't want the dog to get to a place where it shuts down because it doesn't know what to do or it's confused. What I, so an easy way to help, uh, to avoid that and work towards what we do want, which is the dog feeling successful, is uh, when there's a shift, a slight shift, yeah, away from the 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 stressors. You know the stress cues that we're seeing with the dogs. You know that. Oh, hi. The wrinkled forehead and, uh, you know, the, the mouth and the pucker and the breathing and all of those cues that we're looking at, when we see those cues start to slip away and the dog is demonstrating that it's relaxing, I want to praise it. So now, instead of waiting for complete relaxation, I mark it on the way down and uh, and I actually have them do it with me, which has been empowering for them. And that actually affects a much larger change because they don't have to wait for this, imagined state of Zen to be able to interact with their dogs. They just have to know when their dog is less stressed than it was. And we have to start to understand threshold in a different way. You know, my clients and I, so that's one practical example, um, what we've done with the feeding. Um, I feel clean about what we're doing on the leashes. And, um, and I really appreciate, you know, your uh, defensive leash handling, you know, there's some cool stuff that I learned in there as well. And, and, you know, and, and I'm also, I, I came back recently um, in a conversation with a uh, uh, another trainer whose work I really respect, and and I remember Dr. Dunbar saying, "We have to make this as simple as possible. We have to make it as simple as possible, you know." And he was saying in his own experience, "You know, people don't want me to come into their house and talk about the science." Now, I, I personally have can learn a lot more, and and that's a direction that I want to keep going in. Uh, but his point was, people have to feel like it's like it's tangible and it fits for them and uh, so that is part of what i look at personally and professionally and also in terms of what we what we're looking at in season 2 cuz this has to be able to work for you when i leave i don't want it to be magic and then i'm gone that's pointless to me it's not generative and uh yeah and the and the the the, uh, the idea and the understanding that it's got to be able to work for them Part of that is predicated on, and there's a lot more for you and I to talk about with this. A lot of the people that come to me have seen a lot of other trainers. And some of them are people um, whose work I respect and they've got great reputations. And so the question for me is not what did that trainer do wrong, but if if for whatever reason that didn't work, client didn't stick with it, didn't work for the dog, if for whatever reason it didn't work, what can I offer that gives them something else that's practical? And, uh, and so that's really what I keep seeing in season season two and, and the people that we're working with.
1: Yeah, you know, I've seen in you kind of this unique insight into the relationship between the, the owner and the dog. And you focus quite, quite a bit on that throughout the show. Um, so talk more about that. You know, you, 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 know you, you actually mentioned I saw it on a couple of interviews that you had done um, where you talk about uh, focusing really on that relationship aspect and how you use that as reinforcement in some scenarios.
0: Well, we, we know that uh, um, you know we know that dogs are sentient beings, and we know that they're they're uh, we know that ninety four percent of communi- human communication is nonverbal. So, for me to expect a, a dog to w- to work around the six percent of my communication skills that I'm offering, <laughs> I, you know, I don't think that's really fair or reasonable. So, it's a way of living together. Um, I see it with my kids. I see it with my dogs, and Um, I think probably the best way that I can describe it is if I want to, if I want to help the dogs change, I've got to change and I have to be clear about my motives. Do I want the dogs to change? Because I feel, I hear this a lot with, with my clients. I feel embarrassed when I'm out and my dog is barking. If that's the case, then it's about me. And if it's about me, then it's not about my dog. So I got to keep bringing it back to respecting what the dog needs you know, if I respect what the dog needs, then 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 everything is going to get everything is going to be able to get handled from there. And it's the day to day living that I see that undoes most of the training that people have been given. Um, and and unbeknownst to people, they don't know that they are often reinforcing what they don't want in the course of a day. So you get you get an obvious example like I come home and my dog jumps on me and I ask him to sit and he sits and then I pet him. Okay, cool. So so what you've got is. The dog is sitting. The dog's still jumping on you, but at least you're getting the sit. But what I'm looking for in the relationship, because what I know that you need, you dog need, is you need to be able to feel, you need to be able to feel calm around the front door. I'm not saying you have to be calm, but you need to be able to feel calm and to be able to manage your own stress around the front door. That to me is empowering for you. The front door, we can't avoid. It's literally and figuratively the portal for everything that's happening. So if I can help you, the dog, settle yourself and praise the choice that you're making to settle yourself, then when I come home, the relationship between the two of us and the association is that the front door actually is, has more security to it. It has more of a positive experience to it. And inherently, it's just um, less stressful. And that is a great—that's a great relationship to have. I don't think anybody wouldn't want that kind of relationship. So when I look at things, I, you know, even though all of the data is key and context is everything, as we've talked about everything, um, I look at how we live. Uh, I know a lot of my colleagues don't agree with me about having dogs on bed, and I, you know, uh, I don't have a problem with that. I, all I know is empirically what I've seen in thousands of dogs is in this in this idea about how we live together. Um, couches are different, by the way, I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for talking about the bed, (laughs) (laughs) but what I've seen is that, um, is if the, you know, the thing about the bed for the dogs that I meet is that the dog, the bed's only about what the human wants. Got nothing to do with what a dog needs. And maybe, maybe, you know, Mike, or maybe one of, one of your listeners or one of the experts can tell me, my vet told me that the window developmentally for a dog to be on a bed ends at four weeks old. And that, that's a really curious bit of information so that i gotta I, I get more clarity on yeah i would i would need to see clarity on that yeah <laughs> That's yeah i don't think she was trying to sell me on i think, but nonetheless so i look at the relationship because how i live it really demonstrates the nature of the relationship far more than what i'm trying to tell you that i do and far more than what i'm trying to tell you that you should do you know and to not be duplicitous and not to, to not be confusing to the dog um I need to be take responsibility for how I live with my dogs and where I wind them up and where I don't and what I encourage and what I don't and those kinds of things. And fortunately for me in the way that we approach things, it just I just end up being a better person for it, you know.
1: Right, right. And I think um some of the 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 behavior junkies that might be listening along might also, you know, it's it's interesting how we look at behavior through different lenses, you know, yeah. how, and, and something like a relationship from with a dog can be uh, broken down in so many different ways, depending on which lens you're looking at. And, yeah. um, you know, some of the ABA folks that are listening along might say, well, it's the attention that's the reinforcer for that behavior. Correct. Or some from uh, neurobiology sense might be even thinking in a different way. So it's... it's right. You know, it's, it's really interesting when uh, we're using human interaction as yeah. a, a, a sort of a the driver for that behavior and uh, what our expectations are for that. And how can we be used so effectively in right. so many scenarios that we
0: might not be focused on because we're Looking through one lens, right, right? and I think it's so. it's empowering. Yeah, I appreciate you you framing it that way, and it's empowering for the human. You know, that's the other thing. A lot of the people that I meet with, they feel lost, they feel stupid, they feel judged, they feel that they have failed. You know, and um, and I don't know, I don't put that on the trainers they worked with, but but that's a that's a hapless and hopeless place to be. So if I can tell you that you can actually impact effective and sustainable change by changing how you live with your dog. And then we can address the, the specific. you think your dog is leash reactive. I think your dog probably has attachment issues in the home. That's what I see, for example. So there's a lot more to it. And I think if, if we look at the divine relationship between dogs and humans, why wouldn't I want to explore as, as much as I could, the impact of my attention and my interaction and affection with my dogs, you know, Somebody else, I have to to clear me on this, but there was a um, we had a Cal Expo here in LA recently, and the whole exhibit was about dogs. It was awesome, and uh, and there was an exhibit in there that that backed something that my um, my manager who's on the show, St- Steph DiOrio, she had brought to me too that that the newer science is showing that the reward system in the dog's brain fires more for its human's attention than anything else, and that was a, that was a radical idea, and it was consistent with what I've what I've been seeing. So definitely like to learn more about that yeah it sounds along the lines of something maybe jock Banksap would uh
1: have mentioned at his at some point in his late great career mm-hmm. um so i know you have to go you i know you got a client but uh just to wrap it up here when
0: would we expect season two to come out if if you would have any idea of that uh, that's a good question so if we film you know like i said there's a there's a hunger for content and um the world's just so different now so uh uh, we probably would finish filming maybe by October, you know, and then it would have to edit it. And it's a great question. I don't know if things come out in the, if they're going to come out in the fall. I don't know if usually the fall is when all the, you know, the the shows that get the heavy, the, the heavy push behind them are launched. Um, we will see. I, I would be pleasantly surprised given that this, just the state of everything that we're in, if we get to see it before the end of the year. Uh, but I do know that, that there's a lot of, a lot of enthusiasm about getting out there and I just want them to travel. I, I was like, listen, can we just get in a van and can I go over the country? <laughs> you know, I wanna go meet I wanna go meet the, the roddies over in Rob. You know, all the people I've been following. <laughs> I'll be happy to tag
1: along with you for sure. Yeah that'd be great. <laughs> so where can people uh,
0: find more about you or follow you if they wanna if sure think more. For well, at this point, we are. Uh, I'm I'm pretty heavily present on Instagram, and so that's the Zendog LA, and that rolls over to my Facebook page. But uh, I- I'm. I don't type very quickly <laughs> I don't type very quickly <laughs> and and I'm a father of two, and you know I'm still trying to to manage the business, so I spend very little time on facebook and uh which is not um, it's not intentional to shut anybody down. I just am not really there very often, so Instagram's where I do most of what's what's cooking and um yeah, and I sure appreciate the support and and uh you know to continue to meet like people like yourself and i uh, you know i'm I'm like I said, you, you're you're rare, and I know that you're not alone. And I continue to get to have the privilege and, uh, and the um, just the pleasure of talking with more trainers and learning more. And yeah, I just want to give Paul Owens a shout out. He's been very very supportive and kind to of me along the way out here in LA, and um, it's just really really uh, important to me just to connect and stay connected because I I have one job here, and that's to. Uh, to help dogs with, with the possibility of a, of a new perspective, you know, that's really it. Matt, I appreciate you coming
1: on the show. I wish you luck with the, and success with season two. Thanks. I'm very much looking forward to it and we will talk to you soon. Okay, great. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for joining me for the Bitey End of the Dog. If you like the show, please feel free to subscribe, share, or give a rating to the episode. And don't forget to hop on over to aggressivedog.com or the Loose Leash Academy for more information about webinars, courses, and conferences, all dedicated to helping dogs with aggression issues.